0: Welcome to Alive and Kicking the 90s Football Podcast, the podcast that's more 90s than your very first visit to Springfield. God, you remember that? My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this The Original 1990s Football Podcast. Hope you are v well. Thank you very much for hitting that download button and joining us once again. ...on this nostalgic ride through 1990s football. That's quite an apt thing to say, actually, because we went on a nostalgic ride ourselves last Friday night... ...and this is what we are bringing to you today. Yes, you might have known if you're a regular listener or you've seen us tweeting about it. There's been a lot of activity on the Twitters, which is nice. Uh, We went live. A live and kicking, did their first ever live show last Friday, the 20th of July. And it was from a new bar that's in London that I implore you to go and visit... It's called Golazzo. Check them out on Twitter at Golazzo London. Obviously, from the name, it is, it is inspired by football Italia in the 90s. James Richardson on a, a, a Saturday and a Sunday on Channel 4. Golazzo! Tim, the owner there, has created this bar. It's on Camberwell Road in London, and it's a complete haven to 1990s football, uh, especially Italian football, wall-to-wall, literally wall-to-wall of nostalgic products, merchandise. The ceiling is decorated in pages of Gazzetta della Sport. Yes, the newspaper that James Richardson used to hold in front of him, sitting outside a nice Italian cafe on a Sunday before he presented uh, that amazing, amazing show that we all watched. And there's a bar in London now dedicated to that very subject go and check it out you'll spend most of the time just looking around whether it's the panini wall the newspaper clippings uh the sabutio italian 90 set they had in there i spotted um a, an lp Go, there's a word i don't even use much very much myself of uh world in motion and uh, pavarotti nesso dorma um not only is it just a great place to hang out it does lovely italian craft beers as well and if you like your pizza, I call naturally, it's an you know, Italian-based restaurant. They've got to have some pizza, and I'm not just saying this because we did a live show there. The pizza is a exquisite. It's great, great pizza by the slice. A proper uh, Italian pizza at Gol Lazzo. Check those guys out. Go there now. But they did their launch night last Friday. We were very honoured and privileged, uh, chuffed to be honest, to be asked to uh, to join in the celebrations and do our first live show, so myself, Joel Young, Matthew Chris, we all went down uh, from our separate ways, me from Kent, Joel from the other side of London and Matthew all the way from Liverpool, came down to the bar, we came together, put on a show, not just ourselves though; we also had two special guests as well, Um, former England defender, somebody who played at Italia 90, uh, Tony DiRigo joined us on the show, as well as author Simon Hart, who did a, who's just literally recently a book on uh, Italian 90 called World in Motion, which again, you should guys should check out. And we kicked off proceedings. We kind of set the tone for the evening, speaking to Tony and Simon and the boys about Italian 90, because although Golazzo is very much themed in Football Italia, I mean, they constantly have Italian football on the TVs as well from that era it was brilliant me and um, friend of the show Greg Lansdowne the Panini sticker man we were spending a lot of time watching the TVs and I think we were reminiscing about Dennis Burkamp at Inter Milan and saying if he actually had done quite well out there then Arsenal may have never signed him and who knows what have happened but yeah it's constantly showing Italian football from the 90s on, on the TVs um, so yeah well that got us caught up so but we set the tone first of all by kind of Talking Italian 90 and what kind of brought Italian football and English football and everybody falling in love back in football at the start of the decade, so we thought we were the perfect people to bring that to the evening, we'll kick things off uh, with a chat with Tony DiRigo, and we recorded it for you lot, so you get to listen and see what happened at our first ever live show, the first ever live recording of Alive and Kick-In, so it's going to be the makeup of today's show, but it got us thinking actually, because um, we really enjoyed ourselves, I thought it was a good night, the, the boys did really well, um, so the future there may be more live shows from Alive Kicking, especially because although this was great to do, it was part of a uh, more of a re- all-rounded event because the second half was taken over by the brilliant guys from Gentleman Ultra, check them out on Twitter, who interviewed Mark Hatley. For their portion of the evening as well as bits and bobs from Tony DiRigo as well. So we may do something with Golazzo or maybe stand alone. But we are thinking about doing a live and kicking live once again, in the future, so stay tuned uh, for more information on that. At uh, some point in the future, we will uh, we'll get on that and we'll get everybody down um and talking '90s football because it was a bit like that on the sort of the after show on Friday night because there were so many people that I spoke to and and came up and we were talking '90s football, not just Joel and, and Matthew and, and and Tony and everyone else at the bar, um, but also the people that came. You know, the great Sid Lambert was there. Flexing his muscles from proper football. Weird to chat. Greg Lansdowne, as you'll know on Twitter, um, the man who wrote Stuck on You. The Panini man, as we call him, the Oracle stickers. Uh, it was great to chat to the guys from Outside Right as well Um, check out their podcast to hear a little cameo from myself and Matthew talking about 90s football but it was really interesting talking to those guys Uh, and Scott Tweed big friend of the show someone who was on one of our really early episodes who we must get on soon Scott I promise we'll get you on again he was there taking images which you can check out as well check out Scott's Twitter feed um, for images of the night it was just all this big family there in one bar so at some point maybe we'll do and live a kicking event where all those people can come maybe they will be part of the show I don't no, the uh, the irons are in the fire. We've got our thinking caps on. All those cliches. Stay tuned because we may do more on that. But this let's get into the first ever live show. First of all, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, this is myself Ash Rose presenting, along with the boys Joe Young, Matthew Chris, as well as guest Simon Hart author of The Brilliant World in Motion, and Tony DiRigo, live at Golazzo. Thank you very much to everyone at the bar. Thank you to Tim and Emma for inviting us down and letting us be part of the night. It was really, really enjoyable. Hope you guys enjoy listening to it too. So here it is. alive and kicking goes live.
1: Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast.
0: On behalf of Alive and Kicking, welcome to Galazzo, London's first 90s football Italian themed bar. I mean, look at this place. I mean, you're just looking around at all the pictures and the shirts and the stickers and stuff. It It's a gazelle della sport on the ceiling. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, I think uh, we're really chuffed actually to, to be part of tonight's event um, as we set the tone, I guess, for the evening with a special live episode of our podcast uh, where we're discussing World Cup italia 90 yes that's what we're doing before the guys later on get into Serie A stuff we're gonna set the tone with world cup italia 90 Um for a moment i thought we'd actually be celebrating the current lot going one better than the boys of 1990 but alas it wasn't to be was it and uh, it means we get to relive italia 90 all over again um, for those who aren't aware my name's ash rose i'm the host ...of Alive and Kicking, which is the original 90s football podcast... ...where uh, every week we discuss what happened in football that same week in the 1990s... ...then every other week we give you a full-length themed episode... ...and interviews with names such as Roy Evans, Mickey Quinn, Alexi Lalas... ...who did our 50th episode, Brian Dean, Paul Walsh, Paul Parker... ...many, many more, uh, including the man we are speaking to tonight... ...and you can follow us on Twitter at AK90s... ...subscribe on all the usual podcast platforms and all that... But um, that's enough of all the housework. Let's get on to tonight and let me introduce you to our alive and kicking lineup tonight. And, and if I'm the loafer Mateus of 1990s Inter Milan, then these two would be most certainly my Jurgen Klinsmann and Adris Brahma. He is a social media mogul for TV's biggest hits. He's also <laughs> a massive yeah. 90s football fan and head of the Giannino football fan club, Mr. Joel Young. How are you doing, Joel? I'm very well. The the first
1: thing... Oh, yeah, give him a
0: clap.
1: I'm so pleased that the first thing I saw when I came in... Up on the wall was the Gazzetta dello Sport about when Ravenelli signed for Borough, so that's just made me feel infinitely at home.
0: It's like they knew you were coming. Yeah, seven and a half million quid. I know, it didn't take us long to mention Borough. You might get a few... We're gonna, he's going to try and sort of shoehorn as many No, Burrow we're going to choose... have words later on, oh, yeah, me and Tony. Yeah, We've yeah, already discussed this. Yeah, <laughs> already <anywhere>. We might. <laughs> Another Middlesbrough supporter. I can't believe it. They're everywhere. They are everywhere. The word ZDS might come out. We're later. like
1: we're like rats. You're never more than ten feet away from one of sure. us in London.
0: Uh, I'm completing my front three normally on Alive and Kick-In, here's a journalist for many of the sportsmen, Tifo football, football whispers. He's a Man United fan. We all know one, don't we? So we all have got to have one, especially in the 90s. Matthew Christ, how are you doing?
2: Very well, thanks. By the way, have you noticed how that's not been screwed in, that picture? And Joel's turned up with a... With a shoulder bag that's about well, we'll six, yeah. sixteen inches I might be like. from Middlesbrough, yeah. I'm not going to
0: feed it. Come on. Uh, that's not what you said to me just now. Well, yeah. yeah, watch his Instagram stories later. You might see it on there. Um, I've also got two special guests tonight as well. Somebody who literally has written the book on Italia 90. Um, it's behind me here. Well I just grab it. World in Motion by Simon Hart. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: No, thank you for having me. Thank oh, you. Thank
0: you. I'm sure we'll get your inside view. But last and certainly not least, the man you're actually all here to listen to, not me or the rest of them, he is a, he's going to give us the inside track on Italia 90. His former Leeds, Chelsea, Torino, as we'll get to later, and England defender, Tony DiRigo. De yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you.
4: Thank you for joining us, Tony. Um, I'm very happy to be here. And wow, what a place this is.
2: Yeah, bring Fantastic. back some memories.
4: Absolutely. No, it really does. And just looking at all the pictures up on the wall as well. All those fantastic players. Is there one of you, Tony? Uh, no, there's not. Why not? Where is it? What is going on? And you were Torino Player Why of the Year. I, talk- I was to- Torino Player of the Year. That's done- how bad they must have been. I was the Player of the Year. I've done, actually, my, re- I've done my research. Actually, yet. you're quite right. The, um, the, the, of course, their favourite player was uh, Gigi Lentini. And he was uh, the, the great player, of course, of the Milan, who was, uh, I think I'm correct in saying the most expensive player in the world at one point. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. That's right. And then, unfortunately, he had a crash. He was obviously doing naughty things with Scalacci's missus. Came back.
0: <laughs> had <laughs> a, a crash. Allegedly. Allegedly.
4: Allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. No, I think i have proven that. Anyway. And, uh, yeah. And then I played with him for uh, a year or so. Lentini was a fantastic player. But I managed to pip him to the, yeah player of the year award so that wasn't bad was it not bad at all thank you
0: well i'm sure we'll get more to that uh, later but we're here to talk Italia 90 um before we get inside with tony i just want to get the guys here their kind of memories on it first of all i mean matthew joel we've spoke a lot about Italia 90 on the podcast um, it's my first world cup so it's kind of where i think my football education began it's very dear to my heart but instantly what does what does italian 90 say to you when we when we talk about it
2: well, is this where I throw a bucket of cold water on things and say that it was the most negative <laughs> <per> <laughs> World Cup? 2.12 goals per game, uh, more penalty shootouts than Starts any... Uh, uh, more red cards than any other World Cup. But, no, in all seriousness, I think, um, I think it wasn't a uh, World Cup with the excitement that we've seen maybe in this uh, last World Cup with six-goal thrillers, seven-goal thrillers, but it was a World Cup that can be remembered for really dramatic... Moments. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those World Cups where you might not remember every game, but you remember certain moments that we've discussed (laughs) many a night the last few months. David Platt, last-minute goal. Um, I mean, for me, I think the opening game in the open was that probably summed up the whole World Cup for me. That Cameroon Argentina game, just because it. it There were some great tackles, weren't there? It was. was, It was was brilliant. It was. It was great. And um, yeah, I'd say. for all of us of a certain generation, obviously, a couple of us down this end are a little bit older than you, maybe, Ash, but... Um, the fresh
0: face doesn't, you know... No. There are wrinkles behind that, don't worry. It's um, both
2: socks. <laughs> but, um, no, I think between all of us, we could all name God knows how many moments from that World Cup, and that's why we're all here, basically, isn't it? So, uh, certainly certainly one to remember. This one might... The one that's just gone might eclipse it, but in terms of, of an era and, and what happened, I think... Uh, Think it was probably one of
0: the best. Yeah, I agree. Joe, what about you? I mean, can you shoehorn a barrel link in there anywhere? I don't think you can. I mean. can't think I can. I don't, no, think, I don't think I
3: can mean.
1: for once, can no. I, with the uh, Italian ninety, sorry about that. The overriding thing for me is Gary Lineker's face just after yeah. David Platt scores against Belgium with mm. that cracking balletic goal that we saw all the time. I've never seen glee like it. it He's certainly never shown it since. Isn't it? Yeah. Even when Leicester won the league he didn't look that pleased. Yeah. But then again, I don't suppose he had to go and present a television programme in his underpants after that. weren't really
0: underpants, though, were they? He was wearing.
1: Where... <laughs> well, uh, later on he was, yeah. Let's not get into that. Come no, on, it's it too 90s. early, Matthew.
0: Keep it 90s. And Simon, you have literally written the book on it. So, I mean, it obviously holds a very dear place in your heart. Well, I mean, what does Italian 90 mean to you? And just tell us why, what, how the book came about.
3: Yeah, I mean, so if I can... Bring it back to you, Joel. You could have mentioned Branco, maybe.
0: Oh, we talk, talked. We talked about
1: him for World Cup ninety four the other day yeah, as well, we did didn't yeah. we? Yeah, yeah. I Should have mentioned him, old fatty Branco. Yeah. <laughs>
3: um, I mean, one one thing that for me was just the fact that we. I mean, one. Sorry to be the stato here, but one one thing that did jump out to me researching the book was that there were only only two players from in that World Cup from the English top flight who were born outside the British Isles, so we weren't used to seeing, you know the cameroon players dancing and jumping on mm. top of each other things like that C- can you know headband there weren't too many players with headbands in the first division of the 1980s <laughs> <laughs> so, elaborate things yeah. you
1: mean you're calling them show off simon is that what you said
3: so there were these little details which were you know new and exciting yeah yeah,
0: yeah it was very new we'll get into it but let's, let's start at the beginning i mean tony let's start i mean how what was it like at the start did Bobby Robson pick a big squad like Gareth Southgate did? Was there a sort of cold point when the squad got sort of deleted? And, and what was it like for you to be part of a World Cup squad? Because you went to Euro 88, didn't you, quite late on. So by 1990, you were part of the England picture quite heavily.
4: Yes, that's right. Yes, I went to uh, 88 European Championships. We did, uh, we did pretty rubbish there, didn't we, to be honest? We, well, yeah, we lost the first again, one. Yeah. We never then, lost a game. Then we <laughs> lost the second one. Oh, and right, then there I, we thought, did, yeah. I might get a game. No, we lost the third one and I didn't get a game. But anyway... I was in the squad, um, and then going towards the 90 World Cup. Of course, it's, it's a huge thing, and there was probably 30, 32 of us. Then it was down to 30. Then they always have two or three extra ones just in case. So I think it was about 26 at, at one point. And of course, then you had to name your, your your 23 squad, and you're you know desperate to to be in there. But I think for myself, obviously myself and Stuart Pearce. Uh, he was obviously ahead of me, but I was kind of you know stuck in that number two spot, um, and I was you know, managed to to squeeze in, but. Once you suddenly realise you're going to a World Cup, then it gets exciting, I have to say, because uh, I'm sure, like everyone else, I was the same as a six, seven, eight-year-old, you know, dreaming of big things. And what did I dream about when I was, you know, down under? It was scoring the winner at Wembley, and it was playing in a World oh, Cup. Oh, he's already in there. Oh, with yeah, I've against Middlesbrough. But anyway, let's forget, <laughs> Let's not go on to that. Not just yet. So uh, going to a World Cup was another one. So I managed to, you know, get in that squat, and then the excitement, you know, really did start. And uh, there's so much interest, I think, in a World Cup, and it kind of brings it home to you that it's not just, you know, down the road or the next city. It's it's uh, it's all around the world,
0: you know, absolutely.
4: And it's a, it's a gigantic tournament. Be part of it was something very special. Yeah. And
0: just quickly, we obviously know your Australian roots. We know that you qualify by Brit- British British city and shit. I mean, did that ever did it ever cross your mind not to play for England? How did that kind of how did that process work? Uh,
4: it, it did. I came over when I was uh, 15, so just before I was 16 to Aston Villa. Uh, then two years later, I managed to get into the, uh, the first team at Aston Villa at eight, an 18-year-old. Uh, then Australia came and uh, asked me to play for them, uh, which I was uh, hugely proud of. Uh, I talked to the Australian Federation, and they said, we need to have you for four weeks. I said, well, I can't really have four weeks off. I've just got into the Villa first team. They said, yeah, but we've got World Cup qualifiers. We need you to play for uh, Australia against Fiji, New Zealand... American Samoa. I didn't even know there was an American Samoa. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to play against Manchester United, Arsenal. And the the manager says, are you seriously telling me you want to play against American Samoa rather than going to Old Trafford? I said, no, boss, it's okay." I ran out the door and that was it. So I I turned them down. Uh, Fortunately, then a year and a half later, England came and said, if you wait another year, you can play for England through residency. You know, We'd like you to play for us. Uh, Would you like to? And I said, yep done right so uh I'm delighted I did thank thank you very much Tony
0: we're we're delighted you did too before the tournament there seemed to be as you mentioned from year 88 a bit of heat on Bobby Robson and then he announced that he was going to leave after the tournament join PSV and some of the newspapers were, were quite harsh calling him unpatriotic some even a traitor I mean did that affect the squad at all or did it kind of bring you guys together knowing that this was Bobby's last run let's go out there and do it for him uh, yeah, Bobby Robson was an interesting one in
4: that, uh, as, as Mark will, will tell you as well, that you know, he made a lot of mistakes with people's names and things, yet you loved him even more. You know, it was, he, We had obviously Stuart Pearce in the squad and Neil Webb. He called them both Stuart Webb. <laughs> they didn't know who did what. Stuart Webb, go take the corner kick. You could see both of them walk across until one got a funny look, then he'd turn away. It was just weird, but I tell you what, he was a, a great man, he had a lot of Uh, Confidence in you, Uh, and I suppose, yeah, him announcing that wasn't a great surprise because let's be honest, just about every England manager gets abuse uh, and quite a lot of it. Gareth Southgate, to be fair, has done a fantastic job, and I suppose he's been the the clever one to kind of turn all that around and make it a positive. But certainly, previous managers, yeah, you're right, they felt the heat, but no, you know, we certainly wanted to play for Bobby, no doubt.
1: There's another funny one about Bobby Robson, isn't there, in that he used to go up to Brian Robson and call Brian Robson Bobby Robson quite a lot, which, of course, is his own name, so that's good. <laughs> did, he did
4: he ever get your name That's you, Bobby, that's not me.
0: Did he ever get your own name wrong, Tony, or did uh, he...? We couldn't pronounce it,
3: so that was... The <laughs> end of that. No chance with that
0: one. So, I mean, you, you've already read about Bobby Robson in the book. How was he viewed? I mean, I think it was harshly by the English press at the time?
3: Yeah, I mean, even after the, um, you know, the opening draw with, with the Irish, uh, the Sun newspaper not necessarily always, you know, an oracle of truth and, uh, you know, right-mindedness, but they, um, th- their front-page diatribe the next morning was, bring them home, kind of beseeching Maggie Thatcher to, you know, to spare our boys any more embarrassment. Um, but I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm by, ch- by walking out <laughs> of the World Cup, you <laughs> mean? Yeah, okay. because of a 1-1 draw with the Irish. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if... I mean, I know the players, you didn't speak to the press. For, for what, was was that a kind of a group decision to, to just close... Like, the
4: it, it was, simply because it's, it's like you, uh, you know, you're around the wagons, don't you? You're inside and everyone's against you, and you, you try and use that, uh, I suppose, as a positive. But um, there are other ways of doing it, as Gareth Southgate you know, has shown. And I think he's done a, a fantastic job, and that's one of the things that I think he's done really well. We, unfortunately, went the other way. Uh, the relationship with the, with the press wasn't you know, great at the time. Uh, the manager's getting abuse all the time. Uh, so, yeah, it was easier to shut it out. And where we were located as well, we were on a, a, a golf course resort, and it was just us staying in the hotel. There were gates up, and just no one was getting in. So uh, it was easier you know, for us to handle it that way.
1: Does that get boring if there's just you? I mean, obviously, Brian Robson busted his foot clowning
4: around. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely it does, yes. We were on a, a golf course, and we got sponsored by uh, Wilson Golf Clubs. And so they all gave us these new uh, golf clubs and bags and everything else. So we had to play uh, a round of golf, which was great. So we uh, got filmed, and we threw the balls up to see who you were playing with and what have you. And lo and behold, I got Gaza. So there's a, there's a, there's a four ball, and the balls went up. So now we're trying to work out which two is going to play against the other two. And by the time, I think it was I think Butch and Woodsy, me, and uh, Gaza. and by the time we looked around, Gaza had teed off already. So he's now already in the fairway, and we haven't even worked out who's playing with who. So we think, do we wait or do we hit? Now, let's just wait. So Gazza now is in the middle of the fairway. He's then taken his second shot, but the other group are already on the green. So they're scattering. Gazza basically finished five holes ahead of me, one and a half hours. He was my partner. I know how dear what happened. Did we win? Did we lose? God knows. But he was the entertainment for a lot of it. He was the funny bit. Uh, of course, now we look back and we realise that there was some serious stuff in there that he needed some help with. But... For a World Cup when you're locked away, um, yeah, he was uh, quite amusing. Although he did find a bar, I have to say. Let's not. Of course exactly he did. Exactly, he did. Let's not talk too much about that. But anyway.
0: It, it brings me off to what I was going to say, actually, because I think from the 2018 squad, we've got this nice kind of symmetry from 1990 where we really see this squad's got a unity... I know social media helps you guys didn't have that, but I remember the clips of Gazza and the cake on his birthday and things like that. Did the squad really get on both on and off the pitch for you? Uh,
4: We we, we certainly got on, but I think that is also to do with the the results that you're having, and suddenly we had momentum. That's Mm. what I would say. And it's not to say we had some master plan that we knew exactly how we were going to play. I think the back three and what have you, that that just came about through default in a way. So there certainly was no master plan, but when we fell upon the right formula, the right formation, things started happening and we weren't great but we just got through and then we got a bit better and then a bit better that suddenly brings you together absolutely I, I see the the 2018 squad more naturally uh together mm-hmm. I have to say that they're, they're younger yeah. we had a lot of experience in our squad as well but these guys are young and I think that helps coming through at a, at a younger age for sure
0: before we talk about the Brian Robson incident Matthew I wanted to bring you in because we talk about this the squad of '99. on we've talked about it a lot on our show I mean, do you think the guys in 2018 will look back on the same way we do? Because we love the 1990 squad, don't we?
2: Well, I hope they do, but then I wonder whether uh, in 25 years' time they're going to be talking about trying to tip Gazer out of a bed <laughs> and uh, the England captain ripping his toenail off. I mean.
4: Probably not, eh?
2: Were you in. You know, Gasket! Go, no go on then, let's do it. No let's do, is, let's no do it. Were, were, were you involved in that incident, Tony?
4: Well I you should say that, uh no, but I heard the scream because I was two doors away. I was in the room two doors away, and uh my recollection of this uh was that um it must have been out midnight or so I'm um, tucked away with the I was rooming with Steve McMahon, and we heard this uh, this scream from the corridor I'm thinking what the what the hell's going on here so we we open the door, we have a look out, and I see doc Doc Crane kind of running towards. Brian Robson's room, and uh, no idea what was going on. Anyway, a bit of a kerfuffle, and we finally get to hear that, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Brian Robson had uh, slipped while going to the, uh, the bathroom uh, on the, uh, the tiles. His toe then went into the porcelain, and it rip, rip, ripped off, basically, and blood was kind of pumping out of it. Uh, he was uh, rather drunk from the afternoon and the evening session down in the local it. village, uh, Sound like that sounds nothing like, you don't believe me, do you? I know, that's hard to believe. Uh, and I just, uh, yeah, uh, it was a, a very unfortunate uh, incident, but when you consider the, the seriousness of, of uh, what we were there to do and the opportunity as a player and what have you, so that was, uh, that was well, yeah, I, disappointing. I
2: was going to ask you that, about that, because I remember being a young, naive 13-year-old at the time watching that World Cup, and the news breaking that um, Brian Robson was was out with a toe injury and... They, they didn't explain why it happened and how it happened. Would well, we
4: you want to explain why well, it happened?
2: No, but then how do you keep that secret? If that well, happened would now, have, how would you...
4: No, you're quite right. Uh, I think the only person that um, I think gave the game away was actually was at uh, Barnsley, I think, in his book some 15 years well, later. No, so exactly. I mean, it's, a it quiet. it's a
2: well-known story now, but I mean, if that happened these days, there's no way you could keep that quiet from the press. But that, that, surely that says a lot about your relationship with... I mean, were the, did the press not know about it, or did the press know about it and just decide not to talk about it? Uh,
4: well, no, we didn't say a, a damn word about it, no, uh, absolutely, because if you think the, uh, you know, the England uh, captain doing that sort of thing before a huge tournament, it, uh, yeah, it doesn't shine a good light, does it? And, I, mean, uh, I
2: mean, these days it wouldn't have taken much for a, a hotel porter or somebody to, yeah. uh, to, for that news to have broken, so I suppose it shows the difference between... Then, then and now have, no no yeah.
4: absolutely and i suppose that's why gareth southgate has embraced the, the style that he has because uh, you know when i saw every single one of the players up there ready to answer questions and what have you i thought that's brilliant you know absolutely brilliant and everything was open and honest and just the way that they, they spoke uh, yeah i wish it was like that for us but you know it certainly I think it's wasn't. a
2: trust thing isn't it i think if you trust them they trust you and if you
4: yeah and i think certainly in 1990 what we do remember is we had a lot of sports reporters from all of the papers come across but then you also get the news reporters from all those papers, and you were friends with the sports guys, but then the news guys wanted to write any sort of story they could and put it on the front page. And, th- and that, that would have been a story. And that would have been a story, and that's where we had a bit of a yeah. problem with that.
0: Let's, let's get into the tournament itself. Um, the first game against Ireland, was there pressure on the squad? Bearing in mind we lost them at Euro 88, it was a bit of a derby. Bobby Robson again, as we mentioned. Was there a big pressure going into that first group game for you guys? Uh, There's always pressure, you know.
4: Absolutely, every time you wear an English shirt, there's pressure. World Cup, you know, even more so. And then I think against the Irish, even more so again. We'd already, you quite rightly say, been embarrassed by the Ray Houghton's header, wasn't it? uh, So yeah. So just to get through that game, uh, you know, not losing, I think was was
0: a positive. But yeah, the the pressure was was certainly huge. Mm -hmm. Simon, what do you remember about those early group games? Did England then look like a team that might go all the way? I think we stuttered really against Ireland, and then possibly Holland and Egypt.
3: Um, I mean, I remember the, watching the Holland game at home and just seeing Paul Gascoigne suddenly turning it on against, you know, Rud Hullett. And bearing in mind we'd not seen English players against continental opposition for five years, really. You're thinking, hang on a minute, there might be something here. I mean, I don't know what, what it was like for you watching Gazza that, that evening. Uh,
4: well, I was very fortunate. I, uh, I was his under 21 England captain as well, so I, I played with him a heck of a lot. He was, for me, the best player. I've ever played with, you know, natural ability, no doubt. And to see him do that to top players like that was, uh, was, was something else. But also just the freedom with with he, he played, how he played the game. Uh, you know, everyone was probably a little bit nervous, not him. He wanted to get out there and show how good he was. And, you know, the bigger the player that he played against, the better he seemed to do, which uh, was absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, so those, those games, although not great, we kind of got through it. Uh, I have one distinct memory, I don't know why, about the Egypt game and, uh, and Gary Lineker. Uh, It was quite a hot day as well, and the the changing rooms, I remember, there was no air conditioning in them, so it was really hot, uh, humid, and Gary, he went to a stretch for a ball on the halfway line. He actually overstretched, and unfortunately something came out of his bottom (laughs) into his white shorts, and he got in at half-time and, oh, my God, the stink was absolutely <laughs> chronic. This is one thing, one angle we've never had Absolute, is the smell. Yeah. It was, no, it was shocking. It was, <laughs> it was because there was, no, there was no air conditioning. And didn't I'm he blame
0: going, it on a, on a dodgy curry or something he had the it, night before? Well, or? yeah,
4: he had, obviously had an upset stomach. Yeah. But he just overstretched slightly and he was wearing white. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't help, white shorts. So he actually, everyone sat down waiting for Bobby to kind of start speaking and he went straight to the showers and got a quick uh, clean-up, quick change, and he was fine, so no problems at all. <laughs> And we beat them Everything's Has fine. that ever happened
1: to you Before or since? No absolutely not <laughs> Carry on Next <laughs> question Give <giving> it time <laughs> Yeah we've got the night To see through yet
0: What <laughs> uh, we're well, Going back to the squad What I was going to ask you as well Gareth Southgate this year Made a lot of the players That didn't get as many games And had so much They were part of the squad You of course kind of went out there As you said Back up to Stuart Pearce is it a difficult thing knowing that you're probably going to go be understudy out there, but do you still mucking as part of the squad, knowing you still want to get out there?
4: No, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I didn't always think I was just going to stick there as a number two. I always thought, right, when I come on, I'm going to make sure I'm 100% prepared and ready, and that could be at, you know, at any stage. Um, I remember I was sub for the semi-final against Germany, um, and then Bobby Robson, just before the game, said to me, right, if you come on, you know, will you take a penalty? That certainly concentrates the mind. Yeah. You, you know, you think, right, yeah. I better be ready for this. Uh, so, no, I, my attitude was I am delighted to be part of it. Uh, and when I get an opportunity, I'm going to be ready whenever that may be.
2: Can I ask you, would you have taken a penalty? Uh, well,
4: I had to. I said yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's what, yeah, it's one thing saying Well, no, well uh, but you, yes, you I would a, have taken. You weren't a, one. a renowned penalty taker. Really, no, I, I did you took could, two could or get, three. I took three kicks a good, and everything great great else. Dead ball. But yeah, yeah.
4: But, but, but I think what's interesting is that I'm looking now at the England team and and how Southgate would have prepared? You would have the sports psychologist. You would have gone through absolutely everything about that. It's also the walk from the halfway line to the penalty spot. You know he would have covered uh, every single stone to make sure that he got it right. Whereas uh, our lot, it was Tony. Do you want to take one? Yeah, I'll take one, and that was it. So were you
2: can't com- confident a... enough that you, if you had to, well, get out, I was conf-
4: I was confident enough to say yes. I'm going to take it.
2: But then I'm to starting score. to think
4: about. I'm thinking, oh my God, if I get on, i have going to take a penalty. So, I think we, yeah.
2: t- we talked about
1: this on the uh, we talked about this on the '96 podcast, and I think we saw a lot of it with England in this World Cup. Is there was a lot of control going on. I think did we talk about Davosuka as he yeah. stepped up to take one, and he was all about putting his hand to his neck and breathing, and they'd been taught techniques. And I think you saw a lot of that with the England lads this Abs- time.
4: Absolutely, and, and that's what I'm saying. I'm sure they went through every single process, where we didn't do anything. And suddenly I've gone, yes, no problems at all. Of course I'm going to take a penalty. I'm confident, I'm this, I'm that. Hold it a sec, I've got that walk now from the halfway line. It's the World Cup semi final. So you start to think and you end up going off track. And that's, I think, what Gareth Southgate's uh, certainly boys you know, certainly didn't this time.
0: I mean, after the group stage win over Egypt, was it a sense that you thought you, were, you guys were getting better every game at that point? Because I think a lot of people were starting to think they were stuttering at the beginning. But that Egypt result really sort of set the postage racing a bit, didn't it? Uh, yes,
4: obviously you expect to go through the the group stage. Um, don't know about setting the pulse as racing, but I think we at least were making progress. You know, yeah. we were we going forward. Uh, again, you know, we weren't that fancy, but just the system that we had. And you look at the balance of the side as well. You know, the the Linikers, the Beardsley, we had the ability with with Gaza. Uh, you know, at the back, Paul Park is like a limpet on any striker that thought he could score. You know, righty in the air. We we had a bit of everything there. Piercy on the right, or Trevor Stephen, or whatever on the right. On the sorry, the right hand side. Piercy on the left. Um, I, I just thought the the balance was a uh, pretty darn good, and of course, Platy then you know odd sprinkling of uh, a magic as well. Uh, we had uh, some good players in good place, you know, good areas of the pitch.
0: Yeah, the Belgium game—it's it's not really remembered. I think Belgium did quite well there. I think they were good. Yeah, Enzo Schifo
4: for for Belgium was uh, was some player. Uh, you're right. Uh, they gave us a, a very good game, but what a goal! I mean, I mean what an incredible of all goal. World
0: Cup guys. Go- I, I say this a lot on the podcast. I yeah. mean, of all World Cup goals, for me, it's up there with the best of them, and that technique.
4: Absolutely, because. Uh, as a footballer, of course, coming over the wrong shoulder and then trying to hook it back and you know, you're spinning away. I mean, everything is just most difficult it can be. And somehow he catches it absolutely perfectly and it rifles in, across the keeper into the net. Uh, yeah, uh, pretty happy after that, I have to no. say. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. was, there a few, yeah. was there a few partying going on that night? Uh, or? Uh, well, no parties as such. Well, not that I know of. I didn't get invited <laughs> <Yeah>. anyway. <laughs> you,
2: you were two doors down. <laughs> I, I was in the wrong room. Yeah. That's where I was, clearly
0: yeah indeed indeed um and we
1: had sorry going and we had David Baddiel on a couple of weeks ago, and he said that was his favorite England goal of all time the uh the one, just just for the balletic grace of it, i suppose
4: uh, no absolutely i, I don 't know about you, but I, I love volleys, you know i think that 's mm. a difficult technique at the best of times, but to get it, he still needed to put some pace on the ball as well uh, It was just a tremendous thing, of course Gaza the you know the, the clip through um, yeah, that was, a, that was some guy, I remember. And also, um, it was in Bologna. Yeah, And the, the stadium itself is, is a beautiful, beautiful area of Italy as well. And looking at the
0: stadium, and uh, it was
4: a great setting for him,
0: yeah. Simon, so, mean, just talk quickly about David Platt for us, because that was a tournament he really came to, to the world prominence, didn't he? And then he got moved to Italy, which w- works quite nicely where we are tonight. <laughs> I mean, David Platt was star of the show for England, really. And because poor old Pi Robson yeah. got into a bit of trouble earlier on. Yeah,
3: no, I mean... I should say that I spoke to Brian Robson when I was doing the book, and he stressed that it was an Achilles problem. Uh, so that's <laughs> the and in
4: fact, that's what we, we did say. Yeah. yeah, it was an Achilles problem. Fortunately, he, he, the toe was on the same foot back, as the bad Achilles. He came back
2: from that World Cup with two injuries an Achilles and a bad toe. So.
4: It's amazing how that happens, isn't it? <laughs> but, um, like yeah. buses.
3: <laughs> But, I mean, David Platt, he, um, he'd, I think he'd, he'd never scored a goal for England until, mm. until that goal yeah. against Belgium. Mm. Um, he'd been the player of the year uh, for his, you know, his, he had a great season with Aston Villa. Um, but this was really his, his breakthrough. Um, I mean, interestingly, I mean, if you look at the players who, who, who shone in that World Cup, um, I mean, Scalacci, um, when England played in a B-team B game against Italy, Six months before Italia 90, Scalacci was playing against Gaza. They weren't even in the A-team. And, you know, Platt was another one who came through. Um, so for Platt, it was a, it was a big, big thing. Um, I watched... Sorry, I've had too much time on my hands. But I, I, I watched, <laughs> no, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, you, know, don't you know more than you know, us. Some, somebody um, gave me access to FIFA's archives, and I watched again the, um, the England-Belgium game in its entirety. And at the end of it, after the, the ITV broadcast is finished... Big Ron is still kind of, you know, churning away in the mic as he as he was prone to do, of course. Well, yes. Um, and and he goes he goes to Brian Moore. You know what, Brian? We could be the worst ever team to win this. <laughs> so he wasn't so impressed.
0: Uh, let's talk quarterfinals, Tony. I mean, Cameroon. They went into the tournament quite unknown. Had this stereotype of the African team not going to do very well, and obviously took the. The World Cup by storm, they beat Argentina in the opener, and they gave England, I think I think it was the game of the tournament for me, not even even for a neutral, I mean obviously we're England fans here, but for a neutral, game of the tournament, Ninica had the balls I mean how close were you that night do you think to going out? Uh, very close,
4: and I, I do remember uh, the game in Naples really well, in that we had a um, we, Bobby Robson gets a, a report on the opposition, okay, so a scout has gone and watched uh, Cameroon written a report up, and Bobby Robson, for the first time, actually just read us a few lines of this report, and it said something like, well, Cameroon, they, they can't really pass, you know, they're, they're not very good in defence, they're, they're not great in midfield, and up front, they're a bit weak. And so he's, he's reading this out to us, and I'm thinking, oh Christ, we've won this already, haven't we? And actually, I then found out who wrote that report, it was actually Howard Wilkinson, which, I can't, which was bizarre, absolutely bizarre. So... What I just said then, turn that on its head, because they were fantastic, weren't they? What a team they were. And the, the first that we knew we might be in a bit of trouble was actually in the tunnel. And in Naples, they had the biggest tunnel to try and... Uh, the dressing room actually in the middle, and you could come out at the end. So as we started going into the tunnel, we turned left. We had like a 75-yard walk, and then you've got to turn right. But as we walking along this 75-yard bit, we can already hear this noise and crazy singing and dancing, and then, what the hell is this? The Cameroonians were already there, and they're jigging... Bloody hell, this is crazy. So we're just walking up, and the noise got louder and louder, and and they were up for it. I mean, they were going like crazy. And we're thinking, hold it a sec, we've got a bit of a game on here. Okay. Well, little did I know, because they were fantastic, they weren't were, they? Yeah. They, were, they played brilliantly. You know, we did sneak through, yes, but, uh, yeah, tremendous game to, to get through.
1: You said there, Tony, that... You know, you got this report that had been written by Harold, Wil- uh, Harold Wilkinson, Howard Wilkinson. I was say
3: Harold
1: Bishop. <laughs> Harold Bishop. Yeah, I was thinking about neighbours again. Um, had you not watched the game? You, do you not watch the other games when you're in that environment? Or Are you just concentrating on yourself while the World Cup's going
4: on? We we watch them all uh, simply because actually it passes the time as well. Obviously, you always want to watch the opposition clearly. Uh, but then you, you just by watching the TV. Sometimes the manager wants to get certain things across to you in a certain way. So you will have a, you know, team meetings and go through some specifics. Uh, but he never did that before. He never read out a report like that. That's just for the managers, just to get some background. So Do you think that was amazing. just to
1: try to? make you think that you were just going to be super confident and make you play in a loose manner and, and well, it would be a relatively easy game? To be game honest, I don't know,
4: because that's the, that's the opposite of what you should do. Yeah. And that's what I, I just found very, very strange. And It always struck me that uh, after the game, I think, right, who the heck wrote that report? Because I'm going to sort them out. And it's actually, it was my boss. So I thought, <laughs> ah, ah, okay. And whatever
0: happened to him? Eh? Yeah, wh- whatever <laughs> happened to him? There we go. Then it was Germany. So there some... Another game involved in England that was probably one of the best of the tournament. There's many questions about the, this game I want to ask you. Firstly, why did Chris Waddle cut his ponytail? Exactly. <laughs> all the strength just went. What was going on? He's like Samson. It was, <laughs> that, was, that, it. That, that shot would have gone in if that
4: ponytail was well, still exactly. there. Exactly. It was all to do with his ponytail. Um, oh, what a game that was. And I, I, <laughs> the start of the game was weird. The warm-up. It started in the warm-up. So I'm, I'm, I'm sub, as I say. So I'm going out to warm-up. And I don't even remember, but the Della Alpi, they had the camera right over the centre spot. And so the, there was this big kind of camera thing above the, the centre spot, about 200 yards up. It was miles up in the air. And so as we're going out to warm up for the World Cup semi-final, gaza has got the ball and the first thing he does is boot it as hard as he can to try and hit this goddamn camera. <laughs> now, I'm thinking, oh my God, you're going to pull a thigh, you're going to do something, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? Anyway, he missed the first time, got it again, like, booted it up again, but... When it came down from the sky, he killed it stone dead and just ran on. I thought, yes, my boy. (laughs) There we go. We're ready. We're ready. What a fantastic game. And uh, We can go through the game. But, I mean, it's just uh, so many emotions on the bench, you know, because obviously I might have come on. I might not have. We were playing really well. We should have won. We shouldn't. It then goes to penalties. And then I'm thinking, Schiltz, use an arm. Come on. Put your arm out and try and stop one. But he got nowhere near him, did he? Uh, And to be fair, they were fantastic penalties. Yeah, the Germans just... uh, as we know. How, how are Gazza
0: and, and Stuart and, and Chris Waddle after the game? I mean, it's, a, it's something we hadn't experienced as an England player before, Yeah, it?
4: absolutely devastated. And, um, yeah, and Piercy, again, we got on really well, myself and Stuart, and uh, I just had to give him some space. You know what yeah. I mean? You want to go out and hug the guy, but he looked like he just wanted to disintegrate into the ground. And, um, and same with you know Waddler as well. And Gazza, well, he started disintegrating out on the pitch, didn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, it was just so much emotion and uh it was a it was awful absolutely awful after that game um yeah hard to describe it and, and the difficulties I suppose after losing a semi-final you just want to go away you want to get out of there and uh you know get home to your, your family go on holiday or something but we had another game to play and uh Obviously, I was delighted personally to, to, to play in that one, but um, as, a, as, a, as a group, it was very difficult.
0: We'll talk about that to finish off in just a second, but I just want to talk the heartbreak of going out, Simon. What do you remember about that game? I remember crying as a 10-year-old, um, into my, did not understanding completely what had happened. Uh, how about you? How do you remember that game?
3: Yeah, sorry, there, there were no tears. Um, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it was just... I, mean, I remember, for me, the moment was when Chris Waddle tried to to lob Irna from the halfway line and just to see an England player doing that in a World Cup game was you know we'd seen Pele well I mean you'd seen the clips of Pele trying that in, in 1970 or whenever but when Waddle tried that in the first half was that was the kind of the wow moment for mm-hmm. me in that game um, I don't think I think he was actually off the, the, the linesman or the referee had actually flagged or something at that point so he wouldn't have stood even if he'd scored but um, can I just ask one question, though? Go for it. I- I've heard you were singing Doe a Deer on the bus after that game, the team, on the way, on the way back to the hotel. Oh, here Is we go. Is this true?
4: I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Doe a Deer, a female I mean, He was out deer. with Brian Robson. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. that's Did we go down to the village and yeah. have a few bevies? No, I, c- I don't remember that one. I can't remember, no.
0: Well, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yet to be unfounded, that one. Let's um, quickly then talk about the third-place playoffs, because yeah. that was, for you yep. personally, as you said, a big moment, even though England had, a, had gone out. It's a difficult game, but proud moment for you in your career? Uh,
4: absolutely, yes, uh, very much so. You know, playing in a World Cup, that's what it was all about. For me, it was a bit more poignant as well, simply because my father is Italian. Uh, and in a strange way, he's seeing his son play for England against Italy, in Italy. His son played really well and set up one of the goals, but Italy won. My dad was delighted. It's a dream finish. It's a dream finish for him. But one of my my favourite... Well, actually, two or three things, obviously, in the game were were fantastic. I managed to get... uh, ow, I whack in the face from Scalacci and split my eye Yay, there we go That was great, the little shit I really, I really wanted to like, snap him in two, But I just couldn't get anywhere near him uh, Ancelotti, I knocked it around the one side of him And ran around the other, he was so slow He was never going to catch me But uh, listen, It's just great memories But the, my, my honest best memory of that was Obviously we played against uh, Italy The captain of Italy was Giuseppe Bergami So uh, I was against Bergami you know, most of the game So uh, chasing him, he was chasing me What have you and after the game, after it all finished, we've gone down into the tunnel and everyone's trying to swap shirts uh, with the various players. I remember you know, Gary Lineker going up to Giuseppe and saying, you know, Giuseppe, we, we, we swap shirts. And he goes, no, 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 no. And then someone else went up to Giuseppe and he said, we swap shirts? He says, no, no, no. And then I was one of the, probably the last ones to come in. He turns around and uh, waves in my direction. So I turn around thinking he's waving at someone else. Uh, I look back, there's no one behind me. I'm thinking, he must be waving at me, this guy. So... What, me, Giuseppe? Me? Me? Yeah, OK. So I walk towards him and he says, we swap shirts. I says, oh, fantastic. And he wouldn't have known me from Adam, but he wanted to swap shirts against me because the man that he was, we played against each other in that game, he wanted my shirt. I'm thinking, for God's sake, fantastic. So I give him my shirt and he says, uh, uh, Tony, shorts. I said, oh, shorts as well, fantastic. So I took my shorts off
3: and gave <laughs> <He> him... <laughs> he wouldn't he have says, done that with the ex- Gary says, Lineker. Tony,
4: Tony. <laughs> Give me those socks. I said, yeah, no problems at all. Giuseppe, you have my socks. But you're getting nothing else, okay? That's it. <laughs> what a man. So I, I treasure that kit for, uh, for a very, very long time. Are they time. on eBay right now? Can uh, yeah, we get hey, them?
0: On you go. Put a bid in. Thank you very much. Let's <laughs> <laughs> finish on the, the, the parade, because it's something we've never seen since from an England team. Did you guys expect it? Whose idea were the boobs? What kind of... What were your feelings on top of that bus coming out? Whose
4: idea was the boobs? Come on, who do you think? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, well, the strange thing is, um, we were, as I said before, we were locked away. So you're on an island, Sardinia, we had our own little hotel, we didn't really know. And so you couldn't just look at social media and see the feeling, you know, back home. Uh, Obviously, we knew things were, were getting exciting, but we were just kind of devastated. We did okay, and then we flew back into Luton, and then, my goodness... We just thought we 'd actually just get a bus back, yeah, and then we 'd meet our wives because uh, there was a, a post house hotel in Luton that was about a mile and a half away, something like that, and all the wives and, and girlfriends and family were waiting there um, well, we, it took us an hour and a half. it was just ridiculous the The feeling the people out there it was just overwhelming in the end and uh, it 's only I suppose then you look back and think oh wow you know, we 've had such an effect on the on the u k public which uh, which is absolutely fantastic. Can you
1: feel that? Well, you obviously have an idea of it, but I think Southgate talked a lot about, you know, how, they, how this squad felt it in this World Cup and how they felt the good vibes coming from home. Could you feel that? Or could you only feel stuff through the supporters? Or, I mean, is that a real thing, is the question I'm asking? Well, no, no it's
4: definitely a real thing, but I suppose we didn't feel it uh, as much. I, I think certainly uh, they've been a lot more open, social media helps, you know, there's a lot more going on that they can get the feeling, whereas us, not so much. So uh, coming back and having that... Uh, was a surprise, an honest surprise, but what a beautiful surprise. It was fantastic, yeah.
0: And to finish off, I'll ask Simon this first, because we, we've discussed this before on the podcast. Go back in the archives and have a listen, but the legacy of Italia 90, they say it kind of changed football, the perception, not uncommon or common to what's happened in 2018 for you. I mean, do you agree with that? Is that what you found right in the book, how it changed the view of English football in this country?
3: Um, I mean, I think th- this last World Cup has probably reconnected um, the England national team with the the English public, whereas I think that World Cup probably reconnected, you know, football with the wider English public. I know there were always, you know, proper football fans out there, but I think people saw this product in Italy, you know, and England were actually part of this, this, you know, glamorous, exciting tournament happening. And after the, the European exile for five years, which ended six days after Turin, um, you know, suddenly England were part of it again. And, um, clearly you know advertisers sponsors saw the football was something they wanted to be associated with again and probably that created a more favorable climate for the premier league so yeah yeah definitely and
0: and tony for you let's finish up with the same sort of question did you guys realize the change did you spirit did you feel that change that was happening because of your exploits in 1990 we didn't know
4: we didn't expect we just went out there to 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 play as best we can and go as far as we can and uh, uh, I suppose the, the dreams at the start what happened at the end uh, was far more than we could have hoped for you know, absolutely I, I think as well for me personally you know, Italy playing in a World Cup in Italy that's pretty darn special I think that's what it was all about even when I remember first landed uh, in Sardinia and the World Cup buses came and they were all light blue leather. Oh, really cool. <laughs> and all the ladies and guys dressed up, they looked fantastic. And I thought, oh my god, this is gonna be some World Cup. That, that's that's not, not like um, that's not like, um, that's not like West Brom away, is it? That you know <laughs> yeah, that's that.
0: exactly right. It's nothing like West Brom away. There you go. And what and what do you what is your fondest what do you take away from Italian ninety? When you when people say it to you, what is your fondest and final takeaway from that tournament?
4: It would be, um, I think, in any kind of team sport, when you when you go through uh, like winning a title, which I was very fortunate with Leeds, it's that bonding that that happens throughout the year. I think in a World Cup, same sort of thing, just on a you know a, a gigantic scale. So uh, to to think to, you have to be with those guys for six seven you know weeks, and then you achieve something like that uh, is pretty darn special that lives with you. For absolutely forever. So as soon as I see any of those guys, you know, we're straight back to that tournament, and uh, we're having a laugh, and
0: uh, that's a that's a very special thing. Brilliant. Well, Tony's good. Tony. Sorry, a gift, for Tony. a gift, a gift, oh, from, gift for Tony. from Tony. I got a Tony. gift. Oh, well, blimey!
1: Yeah. I hope we've got gifts. I hope you've brought enough for everyone. Uh, <laughs> I the yes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking that off you after your eBay battle.
0: Yeah, go for it. Good. Yeah, right uh, well, I guess yeah, that'll be good. Um, yeah, so we did a bit of a. We've got the um, sort of go on the ceiling, all that sort of stuff. I did a bit of digging around and thought, oh, hang on, Tony Di here. So um, I actually found um, the 1990 uh, La Gazette Sporter Sporta Wow. Third place playoff. Wow. wow. The day before. The day before? It's got 10 pages on it. Okay. The Italian media gave 10 pages of La Gazette sporta to England, Italy, uh, third place playoff. On page 11.
4: Page 11? Why not
0: page, page 11 of 10? <laughs> uh, if, if you just um, hold the microphone a second. Yeah, I will.
4: Okay, here we go. Uh, wow, no, I didn't expect a presentation. Yeah. It was need
1: Luca, I need an Italian translation,
4: please. You better translate this good, by the way. It it's 5,000 words minutes. long as well, so <laughs> <laughs> we could be here sometime.
0: Oh, uh, uh, look at that barnet. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, um, look at that. Uh, it, wow. Uh, it's explaining that he's played for Chelsea, that he's not played yet in the World Cup.
1: But, <laughs> all right, all right. But his dad's Italian. <laughs> <laughs> but, but
0: his dad, it probably says that as well. So, uh, Is that for me? <laughs> that's for you. Oh, that's, that's
4: very special. Thank Way. you very much. Yeah. Thank you very That's a pleasure. Uh, thank, you. thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.
1: I feel like I feel like that was such a lovely moment. We shouldn't have a fight now about the goal Tony scored against <laughs> Middlesbrough get get your
0: system, yeah. I've just said it. Now yeah, come yeah, on. Do right, yeah. you want
1: to tell us about the most important thing that happened to you in 1990 and that was scoring the goal that beat my lot well, at Wembley. Well, that's
4: actually quite funny because this silly little It wasn't cup, to me. It, well, it was to me. <laughs> it was it was this silly cup that suddenly became very very serious when we got to the final. And so we are playing Middlesbrough. Now, Middlesbrough, to be fair to them, had won absolutely nothing for a long time. Ever. Chelsea, at the time as well, had won absolutely nothing as well. So all of a sudden, we've got 75,000 people inside Wembley, and two sets of fans are hungry for success. Is that fair enough? Absolutely, Absolutely. Yeah. And to be fair, you guys played really well. Unluckily, I stepped up, hit it in the top corner, <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> right, I'm leaving. That's I'm going, going now. Go, go. Love
0: well, that, Tony. You're sticking around for the second half Absolutely. with Gemma Ulcher as they talk Serie A and Torino. Uh, Matthew Chris, thank you very much. Joe Young, thank you very much. Simon Hart, thank you very much. Thanks to Tony. Thanks to so I've been Ash Rose. Till next time, keep it nineties. Cheers. Did you enjoy that? There you go, eh? First ever live show in the can. Uh, we really, really enjoyed doing that. Uh, we were speaking in the bar afterwards while munching on some pizza and downing some beers that we really must do more. So as I said at the top of the show, it may happen again, um, possibly with the guys that go out because we thought it was such a great fit. We were talking afterwards as well. So there are irons in the fire about some more activity for both us and the bar um, and just going on the road, alive and kicking live. It's something that we may visit f- more in the future. Um, but until that and um, we'll be back soon with more this week in the 90s and back to domestic matters as well. We're getting more themes and fun from 1990s football as always here on Alive and Kicking. Thank you one more time to the guys at So and Tim and Emma for getting us involved. Thank you if you came down and I said hello and, and just enjoyed it. And if you've followed us since and you, you're downloading all our archives, get involved on the uh, Twitter feed and the Facebook page. That's make this a one big nostalgic family from the 1990s. Um, of course, you can follow us at AK 90s And if you are a subscriber on iTunes, rate us, review, share, subscribe, all that gump, we're very much appreciated. It keeps the dream alive, keeps us going, keeps the 90s nostalgia in full flow. But... I'm going to leave it there. Hope you enjoyed that live episode. I've been Ash Rose. This has been alive and kickin and until next time, keep it 90s. Alive and Kicking.